0: to cancel vacation plans because of COVID-19. Hands up if you're dreaming about and planning your next vacation as a coping mechanism as we go through lockdown. Hands up if your dream holiday involves flying in an aeroplane. Okay, so let's imagine that the lockdown is lifted and you're flying to your Holiday! You're excited. You're stoked. You're in first class naturally, and you're there holding your champagne flute or um, you know a coffee, and uh, you wriggle your bum in the seat, and it's like, oh, I'm so excited! I can't wait. And yeah, you feel a little bit nervous. After all, it's been a long time since you've been in the air. Uh, and you're flying in the air, which is a big deal. So you feel a little bit nervous, but y- you deal with you know the nervousness and the doubt and the anxiety by reading the manual in the seat in front of you that explains the details of the you know of the plane. Um, you know, shows how safe it is. And while you're reading the, ma- the magazine, the flight attendant is explaining where all, the, um, where all the emergency exits are and what the safety procedures And so you're left with this sense of, hey, you know what? They know what they're doing. It's going to be okay. I've got nothing to worry about. Now, across the aisle from you is a fellow flyer in first class. And you can tell that they are absolutely petrified, absolutely terrified. First time flyer, you think to yourself. You lean across the aisle because the six feet thing isn't a thing anymore. And uh, you say, hey, are you okay? No response. They just stare ahead in this kind of rictus of terror. You ask again once or twice. Nothing. So you leave them to it and you put on your noise cancelling headphones and you watch the latest movie on your screen. Now, during the flight, you look over every now and again at your frightened flyer friend, and you see their mouth moving. Now, as you remove your headphones to hear what they're saying, you hear them say this. We're going to crash. We're going to crash. We're going to crash. The plane can't hold us up. We're going to crash. We're going to crash. And so you put on the headphones, and you can still see that they're saying this thing over and over and over again. Well, after 14 hours in the air, you arrive at your destination and you feel rested. You've had a great sleep. You've watched three movies. Uh, You ate some really nice food. uh, And you're ready for your vacation. And so you step off the plane at the same time as your frightened flyer friend. And you see them as they collapse on the floor in a heap, weeping with relief and with exhaustion. And so, you know, you carefully step around them and you go... Uh, to where the signs show you for uh, your luggage. Here we have two flyers, two nervous flyers, both experiencing doubt at the start of the flight. They have the same flight. They have access to the same resources. They're sat in the same area even. And yet they have two very different experiences. So why was there such a contrast in their experience of the same flight? Simply this. One dealt with doubt in the right way, the other did not. And w- when you think about it, what really was at stake? Was it their safety? No. Because fear didn't make them any more or less safe. What was it? So what was it that was at stake? Was it their lives? No. Their health? No. Their, their arrival? No. The on- there was only one thing at stake and one thing alone, which was their enjoyment, one enjoyed the flight, they ha- and the other had their flight ruined, all because of how they chose to deal with their doubt. Now, Mark chapter 9 has this uh, scene where the disciples are arguing with the teachers of the law. There's, there's a big crowd around them, like a school fight, and Jesus asks, what's going on? And a man pipes up in verse 17 and he says this. He says, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you now? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. Me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd, that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. Let's draw some truths out from this, folks. Okay? Number one, uh, Jesus says that this kind of demon can only come out by prayer. Okay? Only prayer. The disciples don't pray. Jesus doesn't pray. The teachers of the law don't pray. The crowd doesn't pray. None of them pray. But we know that the demon came out, right? So someone had to have prayed, because this kind of demon can only come out by prayer. So someone had to have prayed, but the question is, who prayed? And the answer here is, is the father The father of the boy was the only one who prayed in this entire account. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about a prayer that casts out a demon, I imagine something like this I pray to thee. Almighty, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to cast this foul demon out in the name of Jesus and to send him into the pit of destruction. No weapon formed against this little boy shall prosper. We take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and we wage holy war against the demon. Uh, We believe, Jesus, that you are who you say you are and that you can do anything. So cast this spirit out for the glory of thy name and the good of thy people. Amen and amen, amen, thrice, amen right? A faith-filled, mighty warrior prayer of power and deep trust. That's the prayer that will forcibly evict a demon from the body of a boy. Actually, no. No, no, and no. The prayer that cast out the demon is recorded in Mark chapter 9, verse 22. And uh, the prayer, it goes like this, it goes, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The prayer of faith that casts out a demon starts with the word if. If you could do anything. And then Jesus responds with this kind of almost like a snarky, it sounds to me anyways, if you can. You know, I, I'd love to hear the tone of Jesus' voice. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I see Jesus with an arched eyebrow. Like, do you not know who I am? If you can, Jesus said Jesus, everything is possible for the, for the one who, who believes and then immediately uh, the boy the the, uh, the boy's father exclaimed the second part of his prayer that was part 1 this is part 2 uh, I do believe help me overcome my unbelief so my point here is that this is a rubbish prayer a really rubbish prayer but it was a rubbish prayer that Jesus delighted to answer You see, when Jesus answers a prayer, he does not look at the doubt amount in your life. He looks at the faith that you have. He does not require us to eliminate all doubt before praying. But through prayer and through seeing prayer answered, the doubt is dealt with. Now, after the boy was healed, do you think that the father was still like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or was he more like, okay, Lord, I believe. Full stop. Last week, um, Julie poignantly said this. She said, some weeks it's easier than others, and I've had to accept my doubts as part of my faith. And I think that many of us can echo this statement like the boy's father and and so this morning we're, we're going to hear from another one of my friends from sarah about how she lives a life of faith despite her doubts yeah the gospel according to shrek
1: there we Why go not? <laughs> i realized though too i'm like will everyone know that movie reference am i dating myself now <laughs> if i reach that point in this i don't know
0: <laughs> we're here this morning uh with our missionary to Montreal, Sarah Davis.
1: Hello Cornerstone, I miss seeing you on Sundays. I hope you all are doing well. Um, So as Dan said, I'm Sarah and I work for Power to Change students in Montreal, uh, Quebec. Um, We're a Christian club on university campuses across Canada, but specifically I work at Concordia University. Um, And we wanna help students take their next step towards Jesus, whether they're figuring out the relevance for Jesus in their life or they've been a believer for years. Um, And right now, of course, because of the pandemic and the situation in Montreal, all of our events are online. So I've been working from home primarily um, and will continue to be working from home for the foreseeable future.
0: Like many of us, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Okay. good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you were to describe the idea of faith in one sentence to someone, what would you say?
1: At least the words that come to mind are hope, belief and unseen. So I think I would probably try to describe it as like faith is the belief in good and the hope that good will happen, even though you haven't seen it yet. Um, So it's like that that tension, I would say.
0: Speaking into the tension, um, one of the most famous verses on faith in the Bible is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, Where would you find yourself on Uh, that line um, at the moment on the continuum uh, of, Lord, I believe on one side, help my unbelief on the other.
1: I want to say I'm an eight, but I feel like I'm more like a six and a half or a seven. Maybe like somewhere in there. I think um, it's hard sometimes to like see God's goodness, even though I know he is still good. It's hard to be looking for him in new ways right now. Um, and so it's like hard because I'm like, I know you're still there, God. I know you're still at work in Montreal. I know you're still working in university students' lives. I know you're still at work in my life, but I'm having trouble seeing it. So, would you give me eyes to see what you're doing, even though I don't know what it looks like right now? Okay. Um,
0: which I is where that where the tension comes in, right? Yeah, seeing the unseen, yeah, the uh, hope. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Why don't you share with us uh, about a time that? you doubted uh what was that journey like for you and what was it that got you
1: through I know for me I loved my time overseas in Denmark but I know coming back like there was just a lot it was messier than I anticipated and so in that season there was a lot of doubt for me of like God like what are you doing like if you are in this why do I feel so crappy all the time like I don't understand um and it kind of like I feel like I've been brought through a place of healing with that. Um, but then more recently, actually, um, so I decided to be back in Ottawa over Christmas with just my parents and sister. I really needed time away. Um, and when I came back to my apartment in Montreal, um, I discovered that the water tank and the unit above us had broken and water had come crashed like rushing through our apartment. And so I come into my house, my home, which I had, My dad had helped me finish getting my room set up when he came to pick me up. We had put shelves on my wall and I was so excited to have my home like ready. And then I come in and there's water everywhere. My bed is soaked. My clothes are soaked. And I think like I just was like I was overwhelmed by that. I was also kind of just like, God, like why? Like I've realized over the last couple of weeks, um, I've moved about 10 times in the last three and a half years losing that sense of home again was just kind of like, okay, God, like if you're just not going to let me have a home, then I'm done with this and I don't trust you anymore. And I think that was just really hard for me to like hard for me to even say in my head, but then also just really hard for me to be leaving in my heart. Cause I was just like, I'm just tired emotionally. I'm tired and God, I'm doubting your goodness right now because this keeps happening to me. And I kid you not, I spent the first week, Uh, Being back in Montreal of this year, um, looking up apartments, both in Montreal and also Ottawa, because I was like, God, if you're not going to bring me the stability I want, then I am going to move back and find it myself. Mm -hmm. And in that, though, that was 100% me. I'm not moving back to Ottawa, just so you know, right now I am staying in Montreal. (laughs) Um, But in that moment, I really feel like God was just whispering on my heart, like, please trust me, like, don't give up yet. And those moments where, like, I've wanted to give up, there's been moments before when I was saying about, like, I found it really hard when I was readjusting from Denmark to Canada. In that moment, I wanted to give up on God too. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened where I felt like in my heart, He was like, please don't give up yet. Please hold on. And so, even though that clinging on to Him, like, quite literally, is really hard sometimes, like, I'm also both clinging on to Him but then also trying to keep my hands wide open of saying like, okay, God, like I'm clinging on to you, but I'm also releasing all of this because I have nothing left now. And like, I just need you to show up with your mercy and kindness and be really good to me because I'm tired and I can't do it anymore.
0: You're a full-time employee of a campus ministry and a missionary. Uh, Shouldn't someone in your position have already dealt with, uh, you know, doubt, um, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Shouldn't you have risen past all of this, Sarah?
1: Yeah. Um, So I love this question because it's a question I've rhetorically asked myself before where I've been like, okay, Sarah, like you've been a Christian for years. You, like you said, I work for a Christian organization. Like you don't have to be a perfect Christian to work in ministry, but you should have at least some sort of like foundational faith. So why is this still a thing? And I think, um friends of mine have explained it to me. And it sounds kind of like a Shrek quote almost, but it's kind of like an onion <laughs> where like you like peel back a layer and then it's like you deal with so much and then that helps strengthen your faith. But then you keep pulling back more layers because you keep going deeper and deeper with God. And so, yeah, like Definitely over the years, like my doubts have changed and like grown, so to speak, where like, I'll doubt something and then God will be faithful and show up. But then um, like something else will happen. And I think that's like that that's where kind of faith steps in, right? Where it's like, we are, we're still human. We're still living in a broken world. We're still constantly wrestling with, do we put our faith and trust in Jesus and God, or are we going to fall back into our old habits of like, but I can handle it or what if he doesn't show up or do you know what I mean? And so I think like, it's not so much that we, we stop dealing with doubt. It's that we, we keep growing closer to God. And so, Sometimes old doubts will come back, but also I think we just experience new ones because Mm. of what life brings us because there's just new experiences we're having, new things where it's like, well, I've seen God show up here, but I haven't seen him show up here. So how do I know he will show up for me? Mm. Um, Yeah.
0: What would you say to someone who loves Jesus but is going through a season of doubt right Mm.
1: now? I think there's a part of me that wants to say, I'm sorry that you're going through that. And I don't mean it in like a, it's my fault way, but I just want to empathize with them because I think we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves, none of it from God, but just ourselves for what Christian faith should look like. Mm -hmm. And so when we're going through a season of doubt, we can kind of feel like we're a fraud or at least that was my own experience. Like, how can I, how can I be a believer of Christ? How can I work in Christian ministry when like, I have these big questions about God that I, I don't have answers for right now um and even though I've I've come through a lot of those questions and I've seen the growth it still was really hard and messy and so I think there's a part of me that would say just I'm sorry you're going through that I would say um I think kind of going back to what I hinted at before like both um cling on to Jesus but then also let go (laughs) so it's like hold on to him and keep believing with that mustard seed of faith. Even if that's literally all you're giving him and just say, God, like this, this is what I've got right now. Actually. I don't, I don't believe what I've been taught for years or I don't believe what the Bible says right now, but I know deep down it is true. So help, help me in that unbelief. Show me that you really are faithful and good or merciful or whatever, whatever attribute you really need to see of God. Um, Then the other thing I would say is this can be really hard and scary, I think. But if you have trusted mentor or friend from church or something like invite them into that. I think that was one of the biggest things that have helped has helped me in my seasons of doubt. Um, Even just more recently, there's been a couple of days where I've found it really hard working from home and feeling really frustrated because I can't fix my apartment myself. I can't go anywhere because of the pandemic. And it was in those days where I either turned to a friend or I would call my mom and I would just cry with my mom and she would pray with me. But inviting people in releases that burden from you as well. And it helps others carry that burden kind of like I think it's an exodus when like Moses has to keep his staff above his head. And it's um, I think Joshua and Aaron who both have hands on either side and are helping him hold it because he can no longer hold the staff himself. Um, So it's kind of that idea of like, we need to have others also surrounding us in those seasons of doubt to help us carry our faith on, even though right now, like we're barely holding on. Thanks
0: so much, Sarah, for your vulnerability and some great words of wisdom there. Now, Sarah talked about a mustard seed, a mustard seed sized faith, referencing Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, where it says this, um, Jesus replied because, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is actually the parallel passage of the Mark 9 scripture that I read earlier. And in Matthew's account, uh, Jesus tells the disciples that the demon couldn't come out because of their little faith, because of their lack of faith. But then when you cross-reference this with Mark 9, where Jesus tells the disciples that they couldn't cast the demon out because they didn't pray, there was a lack of prayer. Okay, so which is it? Is it a lack of faith or is it a lack of prayer? What was the reason? Well, it's actually both. Because from these two passages, uh, Matthew 17 and Mark 9, we can draw a direct link, a direct connection between not praying and having little faith which means the way to start growing in your or or to start growing faith in your life is to start praying even if that prayer is at the beginning lord i believe help my unbelief that's the start of faith and matthew calls it a mustard seed sized faith mustard seeds are tiny right so this faith is small it's a small faith but it's a step up from little faith. You see, small faith is good and little faith is bad. The disciples had little faith, as we can see here in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. They had little faith, but the father with his small faith was able to see the demon cast out of his son. That mountain was moved. And so Jesus is calling us to notice the difference between little faith and small faith. Little faith is unbelief. Small faith is doubt. You can have small faith and pray. You can doubt and pray. But you cannot have little faith and pray. You cannot unbelieve and pray. Because unbelief is a declaration from the heart that God cannot intervene that he cannot do something miraculous in this situation. Friends, ca- Jesus cannot work with little faith. He cannot work with unbelief. Matthew chapter 13 verse 38 makes this really clear. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Matthew 13 38. So lack of faith is little faith. But small faith or doubt is not lack of faith. And with that small mustard seed sized faith, Jesus still has something to work with, uh, to multiply, something that he can do something incredible with. He answers the small faith prayer, the doubtful prayer. You see, when we doubt, um, our our faith is kind of on a seesaw. We're on a seesaw. And it, it really could go either way. It could go this way into unbelief, or it could go this way into faith. And it all depends on what we do with our doubts. It all depends on what the weight is on each side. If there's more weight on the faith side, the faith side will win. If there's more weight on the unbelief side, then the unbelief side will win. And so here are three ways that w- we can deal with our doubts. That will stop our doubts turning into unbelief and instead will help them be nurtured and grow into faith. Number one, admit your doubts. Okay, Jesus knows that you have them and they do not prevent him from hearing your prayer. So admit them, just like Sarah did, just like, you know, the father did. Um, I'm not sure if you can, but. If you can do anything, you know, that 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 if, it's okay to pray ifs. Your, your, your prayer does not have to be a confident prayer for it to be a faithful prayer, a prayer of faith. Number two, revisit the basics. Revisit the basics when you're in that moment of doubt and it can go either way. Revisit the basics. You see, at that moment, you can... You can slide down into unbelief or you can continue climbing the mountain into faith. And what you do with your doubt is really a moment of truth. It's a watershed moment. It's a teeter-totter moment. And one way that we can prevent doubt sliding down into unbelief or into little faith is by revisiting the basics, reminding yourself of what you know to be true about God. Like what Paul says to his mentee in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you learnt it, uh, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise from salvation, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself, and Jeremiah 6.16 is the same story. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. It's a decision time, it's a watershed time, it's a teeter-totter time. And ask for the ancient past, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So rehearse what you know to be true, ask for the ancient past, even uh, ask others to show you the way. Revisit the basics, what you know to be true. So number one, admit your doubts. Number two, revisit the basics. And number three, doubt your doubts. Do not trust your doubts. Do not give too much credit to your doubts. Hold them lightly, hold them loosely. You see, we all have seasons of of doubting Jesus, but too few of us have trained ourselves to doubt our doubts. And so we've got to be that second voice, that second opinion when doubts rise up. We have to learn to speak to our souls and to speak to ourselves. Sarah talked about sharing her doubts with others, praying with them, crying with them on the phone. These are all strategies for doubting our doubts. And so we can either feed our doubts and watch them slide down into unbelief. Or we can turn our worries and our anxieties and our doubts into prayer as we climb this slope into faith. But, friends, the choice is yours, the choice is mine. And so, you know, this is real stuff. But as I wrap up, hear this doubt cannot exist without faith, and faith cannot exist. Without doubt, neither can exist without the other. Colin Smith uh, makes these points in an article he wrote on the internet. He said this, "You, you, you can't have faith without questions. Number two, you can only doubt what you already believe. And then he said doubt and unbelief are different, which is what we've been exploring this morning. So don't be afraid of doubt, but instead rob it of its power by admitting your doubts, revisiting the basics and doubting your doubts. And I would also like to add this to it as well as a fourth thing. If you have any unconfessed sin, confess that sin, because um, Satan would love to use unconfessed sin as a crowbar to pry um, Pry his way into your faith. So don't let him in. And we do that by confessing our sin. Okay, but so admit your doubts, revisit the the basics and doubt your doubts. And here's the one thing really that encapsulates it all. If you have a pen, write this down. And here it is at the bottom of the screen. Let God speak louder than your doubts. Let God speak louder than your doubts your doubts. Friends, God doesn't have to raise his voice. He's already spoken and it's all here in the Bible. And he's still speaking through the Holy Spirit through this into our hearts and into our minds. Romans 8:15 says this the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children so the spirit still speaks and god still speaks through the bible If we let him, the spirit will testify to our spirit and he will quieten our doubts. But we need to listen to him. We we need to actually crack open the Bible and let it flood our souls with reassuring truth and with convicting truth and with doubt, quieting truth. We need to let God speak louder than our doubts. We don't need to fear our doubts. Instead, we need to admit them. And we need to doubt them. And we need to revisit the basics. And when we do that, we're letting God speak louder than our doubts. Our doubts may still have a voice, but God's voice is louder. We may still have, you know, the murmuring of the doubts in the background, but God's voice is louder. But what's needed, friends, is that we need to be in the presence of God you, you need that more than you need Netflix, more than you need a holiday. You, you need to allow God to minister to the deepest part of you. And as you worship him, you can bring your doubts with you. You don't have to leave them at the door. Like this worship song says, it says, And you meet me here today with mercies that are new, all my fears and doubts. They can all come too, because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to sort out your doubts and then come to Jesus. Bring them with you and He will sort it out. So let's not avoid doubt. Let's let's not pretend that we don't doubt. After all, doubt is a sign of faith. You can only doubt what you believe. So let's not avoid it, but let's also not allow it to have free reign in our lives. Let's let's avoid little faith. And let's embrace small faith. And the only way that we can do that is to let God speak louder than your doubts.